Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13stardesigns and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13, all spelled out, star designs. jam-packed episode of the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault a read-along pod where we dig into the good the great problematic of the dresden file series by jim butcher an old long-time dresden dresdener and this is my first time through together we chop it up spread it out let it all dry out and Ferment in the sun and get you some gross concoction that turns out to be actually pretty good. Bringing pop culture into everything. As well as a lot of nerdy literary references. Oh, well, you know, how nerdy. Can you really call any references nerdy when we're doing a Dresden Files podcast? I feel like, by definition, all references are less nerdy than the subject matter. (laughs) Quite likely. Quite likely. It is pretty spectacular, though. But life is good, and we are here, and I apparently just got last week's episode out. This is Tuesday. Today's our recording day, generally. And um, I get everything loaded up on Friday night, usually, because on Saturday morning, we have early access for our subscribers. They get the pod a day early, and like I said, eventually they'll have videos of Lissa crying while reading Dresden Files books or something. I don't know. Um, But right now, the only perk we have is you get the pod a day early. Mm -hmm. And um, for some reason, the system keeps not switching it from the early access to the all access. So I'm sure it's user error. I screwed up. But that's why the pod wasn't available. It was done. I stopped thinking about it (laughs) Friday Late Friday night. I was like, all right, I'm done. And we actually didn't realize this until Matt Hewlett, uh, he messaged, he commented on our Facebook post. So Matt, thank you very much. You're awesome. Yeah. I was was like, when's the next mark going to be out? I was like, Lissy texted me. I was like, "Uh, it's been out for four days, Liz. (laughs) Like, you bozo. (laughs) Like, she's the dumb one. And it turns out the lesson, as always, Joshy's the dumb one. Because, I, I, you know, I looked on, on multiple, because sometimes one format might not always, it might not always show up. So I looked on Spotify, I looked on Amazon, and I was like, 
Okay, well, the two I look at, it's not, not, it's not on, so, uh, Joshy, fix it. Yep, he's the, yep. He's the techno up. one. <laughs> yeah, and that's our problem. <laughs> Clearly. But it's up now, and I appreciate you guys. Also, I checked the, uh, just the number of downloads, and it seemed to be a standard rate. So I was like, oh, okay, must have gone out. Everything's fine, but. <laughs> what can I say? We do hey, it best. happens. It happens. But besides that, how are you doing today, Liz? Great. You get I went out to Monterey with some girlfriends. We had lunch. Lovely little uh, girls' day out. It was freezing cold. Not well, freezing cold for us. It was like a 57 degrees. <laughs> which is a little chilly. And then we got back to San Jose and it was 76 degrees. So, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. I do love Monterey. The, uh, what do you call it? Aquarium with the otters. So cute. We didn't get to go to the aquarium, but we, cause we went to the old wharf, but we did see an otter. Oh, that's even cooler. Which was super exciting. Yeah, no, it's, that's more of a tourist. You, know, you guys live close enough that you can do like gross stuff. That's true. You can, You're just we had visiting a Monterey wonderful lunch. Like one day. You really have to do the, uh, it's one of the best aquariums in the world, right? Apparently. As far as I know, yeah. I mean, it, it was also it's, Shed Aquarium in Chicago, which comes up as a uh, place over the next few novels. Nice. But uh, a terrible bike ride today. Oh, no. When Kyle's in charge of the bike, r- bike ride paths. They're very hilly and awful. <laughs> I get it. I'm slightly less fat today than I was yesterday. And um, yeah, just kind of a. Good luck. Good weekend here. I put uh, two different fermentations down, making some beer again, which I'm excited about. They're all bubbling noisily and gurgling, gurglingly, which is lovely. So getting back to doing the things we like to do. And um, yeah, short of that. I sent out a uh, 50 bookmark dickmark order yesterday. So that was fun. So like, like hot dicks. Oh, heck yeah. Or dick cakes. Are they selling like dick cakes or are they selling like hot dicks? <laughs> I like that. I like that. One, one of the two, though. <laughs> That's spectacular. Fly it off the shelves. So mm-hmm. very, very cool. Get yours today. The world famous dick mark. So <laughs> um we are on what, chapter 13 coming up here? We are. All right. Well, how about you get everybody settled in and warmed up and in place? Well, let's I'll see. Uh, we learned at the beginning of this book why our podcast is called What It Is, which is delightful. Um, Harry is teaming up with Thomas to help a buddy of his out who happens to be a porn producer. So Harry is being a PA on a porn film to help kind of bodyguard from the evil eye, Molokyo. And so far, day one on set, somebody ended up in the ICU. So there's that. That's an interesting little adventure. And he is trying to sort out some of Genosa's history at this point. Mm-hmm. So we do know that Arturo Genosa at this point has three ex-wives. Mm-hmm. Which is certainly a big part of this investigation. They come up a couple times. And Harry was trying to do some digging earlier, but was was basically getting stopped by technology. 
He sent Murphy a bunch of links and had her look up all the stuff on the internet to hopefully find some stuff out. Mm-hmm. So we see, uh, and this is the result of that digging by Murphy. She, so we start off chapter 13 on the phone call with Murph and she's giving him the goods, um, catching us up, catching Harry up rather on all the things she was able to learn about Genosa. And, um, she, Harry said, you know, after giving me all this information, Harry says, wow, Murph, it's as if you're a detective. (laughs) (laughs) He's a dual citizen of the States in Greece. He ends up, ended up spinning a, uh, relatively modest background up into about $4 million worth of net worth. And he's a bit of a porn revolutionary where he is not going for the silicone and the artificial and simply going for the cutest, youngest things. He's trying to get people who have some real chemistry and he uses natural body types and he's been on the, you know, in Time Magazine and People and maybe not Time. Oh yeah, oh yes. He's been featured in Time Magazine and People and USA Today. He's been with Oprah and Larry King. Um, basically, he's kind of like the a mainstream crossover hit <laughs> in the porn universe um, <laughs> because of his different perspective there. And it leads to a great conversation where we've seen this before, but Harry's infinitely uncomfortable talking about anything sex. He's a slightly puritanical. He absolutely is. And it's funny. Um, also explain some things, but it's funny. And um, basically Murphy, he, he was describing that the, that Genosa doesn't use fake breasts, but he can't say it. So it's like the visualization of him with the phone to his ear. Yeah. And he's doing the, you know, the universal breast hand signal where you put your hands a foot or so in front of your chest and, um, and scoop and Murphy figures out what he's saying. And she basically just goes down the list of slang terms for breasts. And each one, he gets more and more nervous and embarrassed with melons. Torpedoes, she loves it's... embarrassing him. Oh, absolutely. But I actually had a question about this. So he's got pretty puritanical views on women, sex and boobs and all of this stuff. Do we think this comes from his time working on the farm with Ebenezer? Like, where do we think this this puritanical sense comes from? Because if you think about it, this puritanical behavior here kind of coincides with his the way he is about, quote unquote, girls. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's a product. You're a product of your upbringing. So, yeah, I think this is more played off as. He didn't learn how to interact with women. Okay. Um, which is how I've always looked at you. Know, he did not learn how to interact with anyone, right? He didn't yeah. have friends growing up and stuff. But that doesn't, but that suggests, and I've never really thought about this before until you asked it. So that would suggest that this puritanical nervousness about sex is kind of the baseline. Okay. Which we know it's not. It's For him, a, it is, though, it seems like. Sure, but but it's a learned, this is a learned behavior. Yeah. Babies aren't naturally afraid of naked bodies, right? No. Um, look at freaking any of the children running around as they grow up, right? So this is, but I think this is played off as he just didn't learn to interact with women. So he's 
falls into this default. But this isn't really a default. So you're right. He had to have picked that up from somewhere. Some sort of, I mean, because it is like my, as I was listening to that, I was like, oh my God, he is such a Puritan. And then it kind of, my brain kind of went further. And there's actually a couple other examples in here where he still has those very puritanical sort of perspectives. Yeah. And I mean, certainly growing up in rural Missouri, I would imagine you get some Mm -hmm. of that. Um, And he did go to school there for some time. Yeah. Um, Maybe not, actually. I think I'm thinking of the schooling he did when he was with Justin. I don't know if he went to school actually when he was with Ebenezer. Um, did he go? Yeah, and that's the thing. Did he go to school or was he? Well, remember, you, you know, yeah, remember he made he hurt his shoulder trying to make the football team impressive. Oh, that's Duane. right. So he definitely did go to school at some point. But um, when he was, yeah, for at least a little bit when he was with Demore, and but I don't recall when he was with Ebenezer. So. You know, I don't. We don't really ever learn, to my recollection, where this came from. So much as he clearly has a problem interacting with humans of all stripes. It's worst. It's worse with women, and it's worse still with anything sexual involving women. I don't think we're supposed to be looking into it as much as you and I are. Right yeah, here. but like, but like I said earlier, we're overanalyzing everything. Thought, you're you're right. I mean, that's a that's a good thought. Because this type of stuff doesn't usually come. Just, I just it, it was interesting to me, uh, because it was because sex is so uh, is a plot point. I guess you could say, uh, or just I guess sex work is a plot point in this set of chapters. I thought it was interesting that yeah, we never really do understand where exactly that comes from. That's interesting. So I was just curious if anybody else had anything to say or yeah. any idea. I do declare. Natural, des- natural, ugh. natural beauty and genuine desire make for better sex than all the silicone in California. Bottom line is that he's not your average pornographic artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Murphy says so. Pretty sure there's no Nobel Prize for pornography. I love that. Which is fair. But Arturo is applying some measure of integrity to it. And people are responding well to him. I have another question. Okay. It's about an idiom. Okay. So the... I had this conversation with a friend. Six of one and half dozen of another... Mm-hmm. I have always heard it as six in one, half dozen in another. Uh, I've always seen it as two, six to one, half dozen the other. Okay, so it's there so three different versions of the same idiom is interesting, right? I just thought that was just something because a friend and I actually a couple months ago had a conversation about this because I said, "Oh, well, six in one and half dozen in another," and he's like, "It's six of one and half dozen of another." I said, "No, it's not," and we tried to Google, and Google has way too many versions of it. In in one what? Six in like six in one hand, half dozen in another. It's the same. Okay. In a hand. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I, maybe I, it's. I, maybe, I know. You know I know what the means. <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to understand your version. Of it. No, but like that's what I was like. That's what we were discussing. Not we knew what the, it meant. You know, it's the same same. Basically, yeah, yeah. that's what it means. But I was just I just thought that was interesting and curious as what you have 
heard it as. Yeah, no, mine is, was always, I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, aunt used to say that. Um, yeah. Six, six, six to one. Grandma Lois used to also. Oh, there's probably a connection there. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I've never thought of the article in there. I just thought it was interesting. It, it only caught my eye because of the conversation I had with my friend, Peter. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Peter I had the conversation with. Yeah. So, it's just interesting. Come for the Dresdens. Dresden, stay for the uh, idiomatic discussions that get us nowhere. <laughs> we do tend to have a lot of conversations about uh, etymology and where things come from. And Those death- are actually important. We'll talk about that when it's not being recorded. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... You know, I've given Harry some crap in the past, you know, over the last couple of weeks about uh, how he approaches sex work or of past the year, basically how he approaches sex work. And here's actually a, an interesting counterpoint to that where, um, you know, Harry says that people are responding well to him and Murph says, except for the ones that are trying to kill him, Harry, this is cynical, but people who choose a life like that draw problems down onto themselves sooner or later. He said, you're right. That is cynical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I like. I, I know. Like, you, but you, I also love that. Look, the guy's in trouble. He's a fellow human being. I don't have to love his lifestyle. I want to keep him. I want to keep bad things from happening to him. I feel like that should be just like everybody's mantra for everything. You want bad. Not, you don't want bad things to happen to people. Doesn't matter what they do for a living. Doesn't matter any of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Murph's reply to that is, yeah. I guess I know this tune, which is like, she knows exactly this. This is Harry's raise on Detra, you know, like I love it. And they've had this conversation before. Do you think I can convince you to, and then, you know, I like that though. I really do. (laughs) Um, and then we get, we've talked about Harry's senses being kind of supercharged. Mm hmm. And he gets us, the skin on the back of his neck goes cold and clammy, and he realizes something's up before it happens. Mm-hmm. A shadowy figure appears in the door. And they're actually shooting at him with a blow dart. But what I like is as they're doing it, he grabs the closest thing, which is a heavy glass ashtray, mm-hmm. and he throws it hard at him. So they're shooting a blow dart at him. He's throwing a glass ashtray at them. It's not exactly the height of <laughs> modern battle strategy. And he cletsily trips over the phone cord, which I was just like, I feel you, bro. I feel you. You know, I, I used to have a uh, have something with Susan, but I'm realizing more and more electronic devices like to die around me. They just computer programs stop working and I'm the biggest klutz. So maybe I associate more with Harry. <laughs> see, you see yourself in a lot of different places, yeah, um, I, but uh, I can fuck yeah, shit up with the best of them. I do like that. He just falls over the, uh, mm-hmm. or he doesn't fall, but he trips over the phone cord, which is tangled around him, which is a very Alyssa method of movement. Most of her movement <laughs> skills involve lateral and going downwards. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my mother calls hard. me Grace, not because it's my middle name. So he gets out in the hallway and starts thinking about chasing him. And realizes it's just a bad idea. He already stumbled, so he's behind. He doesn't know what direction he went. Um, just asking for trouble to track him down. Mm-hmm. But he sees the dart that was shot at him, and it was a bone-tipped dart, so kind of old school, which isn't surprising given all the old school enemies we have in this universe. And there's poison or something that stained the uh, tip. So it's, someone shot a poison blow dart at him. Which seems so he decides not to pursue. He comes back around uh, to the phone, and Murphy's basically like, "Harry, Harry, 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 all right." Um, he says, "Fine. It looks like I'm on the right track." What happened? It was pretty clumsy, but I think someone just tried to kill me. Rutro. And so Murphy, in typical Murphy worry for Harry, tells him get the hell out of there. And he he says, "Look, I think it was just someone trying to scare me, or else he'd use a gun." And he says, "Can you get those records for me today?" So she's going to continue to find additional information regarding Arturo and the whole operation. And she says, "Get in touch if you learn something." Magic or not, attempted murder is police business. It's my business. This time for sure. Watch your ass, Bullwinkle. <laughs> Which I appreciate. And so he's flipping Wait, through. So, so, so we see this version of Murphy a lot moving forward. And we see it in the past as well, right? Where she kind of demands to be let in based on her mundane connection, right? The, uh, police stuff mm-hmm. and we get it and Harry gets it, but it is always kind of annoying to me that like she has this complex. I don't know how to describe it, but like this some supernatural shit going on here, Murph, like this isn't a random, th- this one in particular, maybe not, but, but this type of mentality, she, but this type of mentality she has constantly where she demands to be let in because it's a murder investigation it, it's an attempted murder it's my job i'm a cop it's who i am and i you know, i've brought the, some of that phrasing up in the past and been annoyed with it and this is kind of the same idea mm-hmm. this is a little bit different because it is just a standard attempted murder we don't know what supernatural beasties are involved but she does this a lot and sometimes she's out of her depth right now it doesn't sound like she is but remember when we'd had these conversations in the past, Harriet would either lie to her, think about lying to her, or just not respond. And now he immediately says, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Again, just more of that trust that we've seen built up between them over the last few novels is just cool to see. Can I give another perspective on that with Murphy in this setting, perhaps? Nope. nope. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. What, do you, what do you got? I think maybe, because we know she's worried about Harry. Of course. She's seen, you know, Harry almost died. And I think this is all, this is her telling him she's worried about him, but phrasing it, I guess you could say, as being a cop. Yeah, but we've seen it in the past 
too often for it to be that really. I mean, this is her demanding. It's her jurisdiction. It's her waving her jurisdiction around. Um, it's just a typical cop trope that I, don't know, I, I actually find pro- kind of, it's the propaganda stuff that you just kind of, I kind of find a little problematic. Not necessarily if you don't look at it closely or really think about it, you just first blush. It's like, Oh yeah, her friend almost died. Of course she wants to be involved. But when you put in the pattern of, of her using this type of language, every time there's a crime, no matter who's committing it, no matter what type of supernatural beastie, it just, I don't want to say, I think frustrates me is more the right word than anything else. It's just, it's just annoying. Like sometimes like I I get it. It's her jurisdiction, but like, it's not, this is wizard. In this case, it's a little bit different. This is probably the wrong time to bring this up, but like, you know, you know, I have a problem with Murphy's. I'm a cop. It's who I am. Bullshit. And this is just feels like some of that, but you're right. This is a lot softer version of that that we've seen in the past and certainly then we're going to see moving forward. So maybe I almost rescind my uh, critique observation because they both kind of pull the Harry doesn't tell her things because it's magic is outside of her depth, but it's also a hundred percent protecting her. And this is sort of the reverse where she wants to know whether it's magic or not, even if she's out of her depth, because she wants to protect him. So then Harry's flipping. That was just an aside. Uh, It's just the interesting. Murphy keeps trying to protect him. Murphy's training him. Murphy, you know, she's training him in hand to hand combat. She's training him to do things. And later we see him using her training. And I just think it's a lot of where it's almost her machismo version of it. Mm -hmm. Rather than say. I'm worried about you. She's saying, I'm a cop. It's my business. It's my job. Yeah, that's so, fair. And that might actually be what it is more often than just this time as well. So that's, that's yeah. not, that's not an unfair thought. That was just kind of my perspective. Cause if you think about Murphy as, as she, I mean, let's be honest, she is the more trained and, in the real world, mind you, trained and aggressive, physically aggressive and physically dominant in a fight of these two. If you take out the fact that she's a, a female, take off, take out the fact that Harry's a male and it's machismo. At least mm-hmm. that's kind of how I was reading it. So, um, which I kind of like, you know, it's role reversal. We do have a lot of role reversal in, in, um, in their relationship. So. Anyway, so Harry continues flipping through the pages of Genos' scrapbook, and he finds glossy photos, glossy colored photos of three women and recognizes two of them. He saw Madge, whose stage name was Elizabeth Guns. And from what it sounds like, it sounds like it was very 80s because she has enormous stiff-looking hair and probably had to take her makeup off with a Zamboni. And then we have Raven Velvet, who is probably ex number two, who he, he had, re- Genosa had referred to as Lucille. And she's got a short page boy cut and a haughty, unsmiling expression, which very is very 90s. And then the third is Trixie Vixen. And all over her name, she wrote in permanent marker, Rot in Hell, You Pig. <laughs> which seems appropriate and he's flipping through the album more and realizing it that he is just stalling 
He says, I mean, yeah, there were probably going to be naked girls doing a variety of interesting things. And I hadn't gotten laid in a depressing number of months, which probably made it sound a little more interesting. But there's a time and a place to enjoy that kind of thing. And for me, in front of a bunch of people and cameras was not it. But I was a professional, damn it. And this was the job. I couldn't bodyguard anyone if I wasn't close enough to to them to act. And so he's reasoning himself, convincing himself to go down. And there, it's a big old, big old production. Bunch of cameras, bunch of lighting. Arturo and, Jan- and Joan are there. And Ari is moving along and, and is as is the puppy. And he asks Arturo, what should I do? Stick to Joan. She can show you the ropes as well as anyone. Watch, ask questions. Which is kind of what Harry does. So it makes sense. And he reintroduces him to Anari. She says, I like him. He's funny. Looks aren't everything, I said. He's charming her with his sense of humor, which is lovely. And Anari goes off to talk on the phone. This is a funny thing to me because her very expensive cell phone is the size of a couple of postage stamps. The exact opposite is true now. Expensive cell phones are those giant iPhone whatevers, uh, which was entertaining to me. Joan, he asked Joan about Arturo and how long they've known each other. And she says, 18 or 19 years. He seems like a nice man. He isn't, she said. He's a nice boy. He lives outside of his skin. He's impulsive, more passionate than he can afford to be. And he'll fall in love at the drop of a hat. And that's bad. Sometimes, but he makes up for it. He cares about people, which I like. And as Harry's helping her put stuff on a tall shelf, like the Yeti and Rudolph the World Nose Reindeer, Joan laughs and is speaking to him, and her words become indistinct and toneless, like the teacher in the Peanuts cartoons. And... His heart begins to raise, a stab of hunger and lust. Lara Lara Romani enters the studio. And he and every other person in the room stops to stare. Some stubborn part of Harry shoved the brain into an intellectual cold shower. She was a life-draining vampire. I'd be stupid to let myself keep on reacting that way. So he came back to the puppy and the puppy's actually growling on, at Laura with his squeaky little growl. Have you, I was watching a, I think it was Nate Bargazzi. I can't remember. It was a, I was watching a stand up. Mm-hmm. It was talking about how he met a supermodel at, uh, I don't know, some being rich and fancy party. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually, I, I didn't meet, but I walked past Heidi Klum one time in a uh, <laughs> hotel lobby, basically. And my recollection is the same as his, that it's like so insanely pretty that it's not natural. <laughs> like, And this is not like she wasn't on the runway. She was walking with her boyfriend through a hotel lobby. Like, you mm-hmm. know how done up you usually are in a hotel lobby listeners, right? <laughs> but it was by far the most gorgeous human. Like they're unnaturally pretty. And he was describing it as like, like he was, he stopped listening. It was just like staring at her ears, like trying to find a flaw in this case. But it's like, it's like a seven footer. Like, a, you know, like a supermodel is like, a, it's, they're a freak. 
<laughs> like, like you ever see a seven foot tall dude who's not like in the NBA, so they're not proportional. They're just weird looking. Uh, <laughs> no offense to all, I'm I'm a much more weird looking guy than any of our seven foot listeners. I promise. But <laughs> this just reminded. I was reading through this like a, a couple days after watching that Nate Bergazzi stand up, and it just reminded me of that and that experience. And I'm calling it an experience. I walked past a woman in a hotel lobby, and it was an experience. <laughs> this was I. It, it doesn't make any sense, but the idea is that, like, just like anything else that, you know, people have, like, freakishly, you know, all, just on the ends of the spectrum, right, of a- any human development, Laura Romani is like that. Obviously, she has a supernatural element to it, but yeah, she's just absurdly pretty to the point where you ha- you can't not pay attention. It wasn't even sexual, <laughs> but everyone just stopped to stare at Heidi Klum, just like, how did someone get to be that pretty? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. And to this day, listeners, it still doesn't. <laughs> I've been chasing that high for decades. <laughs> it is Anthony Kiedis. She and Anthony Kiedis walked through a uh, a Hard Rock Hotel in. Him? This is uh, this is back when the Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas existed. So it was uh, decades decades ago. But um, no one gave a funny. fuck that Anthony Kiedis was there. No. <laughs> One of the biggest rock stars on the planet. Which no. isn't, really, isn't a, an experience that happens to him very often. I'm sure. I would imagine. But uh, sorry. But no, that totally, no, that totally makes sense, though. Where it's just people stop and look. It, like, there's, some, there's something off. Like, that's how pretty they are. There's something she's off. Part of, do you think she's part of the... Honestly, I would not surprise me. If I <laughs> was a white court vampire, it would explain more things than it would cause. It would cause, create more answers than questions. That's for sure. I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's spectacular. Um, Joan calls her Viagra with legs. Although I've got to admit, she knows how to make an entrance. Um, Yeah. (laughs) He is trying not to watch what's going on. He says it's uncomfortable and embarrassing for him to watch the scene happening. About an hour into the shoot, uh, Inari's phone rings and he uses listening. Yes, Papa. I know. I will. I won't. Yes, he's here. What a terrible thing to say. I thought you were supposed to chase the boys off with a shotgun. Bobby, Papa. His name is Bobby. So, Inari's got a thing going on with Bobby. Her dad is all about it, which is a little sketch because he's a porn star and she's a PA. So, Hyrie continues looking out for black magic. Uh, Nothing untoward happened beyond an audio monitor spitting sparks and dying when I walked too close. (laughs) I mean, hey... They shoot a few more scenes, and he didn't recognize the three performers. They must have been the crew Joan said would follow Trixie's example by showing up late. Of course, one of the people who had been on time was now in an ICU, and lucky to be there instead of the morgue. Punctuality was no protection against black magic. And a while later, the crew is all worn out, and people are still there. There's a movement in the darkness at the back of the studio. A shadowy figure darted out of a corner and headed for the nearest exit. And Harry makes chase. And he talks about how he has been practicing running. Which just made me giggle the way he said it, that he would practice running because of all the foot chases he gets involved in. The other person also must have practiced running because they were very fast. Also, like the part where, what does he say? 
Like usually I'm not on the side of it or something like that. Oh yes. Admittedly, I was usually on the other end of the foot chase, <laughs> mostly due to my personal policies on hand-to-hand combat with anything that weighed more than a small car or could be described with the word chitinous, which I do not I did not know what that means. So chitinous. This is the word where I said early so earlier in one of the novels he, he used he said chitinous for this word, and I said, I thought it was chitinous. And then in this chapter on the audiobook, Marsters reads it as chitinous this time through, I think. It's well, like it's, a, it's, it's like, a critter. Like, yeah, think like an in, like insectoid where you like have plates. Well, so there, there's the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary. A chitin, chitin, is a horny polysaccharide that forms in the hard outer integument, essentially of insects, arachnoids, and crustaceans. A nitrogen-containing polysaccharide that is tough, protective, semi-transparent substance and is a principal component of an arthropod exoskeleton in the walls of cells of certain fungi. So it's a very hard material? Yeah, it's... Chitinous is like... It's like the the exoskeleton of an animal is usually how it's described. Like chitinous plating. Okay, okay. Chitinous plating. Gotcha. Almost always with critters. Like the armadillo skin of a insect is what... Chitin is. Sure. Okay. Um, again, I, I, I don't always know how to pronounce words. I apologize. I understand words in context or I look them up. And in this word, this case, I looked it up. Um, but the other person, obviously, was he practiced running. And we get another little tidbit of Harry's puritanical views. Now, this is going to be a thing for me, and I do apologize if it irritates you or if you don't agree. But it was sort of like a light bulb moment. With each step, I got further from possible help and stood a higher chance of running into something I couldn't handle alone. I had to balance that against the possibility that I could stop whoever had been attacking Genosis people before they could hurt anyone else. Maybe if it hadn't been mostly women who were hurt. And maybe if I didn't harbor this buried streak of chivalry. And if I were a little smarter. It wouldn't have been such an easy choice. So he's putting himself at risk for the ladies, which is interesting. But that when I look at this in a puritanical perspective, rather than pure, I guess, willful ignorance of misogyny, it does change it a little bit. It's still annoying and irritating. But it's more based in. Well, like we talked about last week, right? Where it's like yeah. when he points the gun at bullies in particular, mm-hmm. you know, people abusing and attacking women just because they shouldn't be abusing and attacking people. That's great. And he feels worse because it's a, an eight. Well, when it's in any asymmetrical power. Yes. And right? we, did, like, we did discuss that where if you change the word woman to someone weaker. Yeah. And so it's like a lot less weird as much as anything else. It's him struggling to, to break down and understand his own reasoning. I think yeah, because it, it really does connect with his, it's such a huge part of his character is this anti-bullying mm-hmm. campaign that he's been on for a couple decades. Right. So it didn't it didn't feel that bad in this paragraph to me. I it didn't. You... No, I didn't. I, I think... didn't. But again, I'm also going on that 
puritanical kind of vibe, but it yeah it kind of works here. It's just everything's a spectrum. Yeah, and that's very like, true. Very very true. Super important, like to realize about life. Everything, everything yeah. is is a spectrum. There's no like, you know. And so like sometimes he goes a little bit off the deep end on this, and sometimes it doesn't feel so bad. And and that doesn't mean it's not the same impulse driving him. That doesn't mean it's not the same exact character trait driving him. But in this case, it's a little bit more natural and a little bit more reasonable. And and I can't always describe it. Um, you know, it's the, uh, like that Supreme court decision on, uh, wasn't pornography, but it was about pornography. It was, can't tell you what obscenity is, but you'll know it when you see it or something like that. You know, same kind of idea here. I can't, tell you where he crosses the line to misogyny, but you just feel it when he does. And it didn't really feel like he did in this, in this scenario, you know? Well, in this, yes, I agree. But I'm also starting to frame things more in that, that he's, it's not necessarily misogyny. It's that he doesn't have real life perspectives on a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Because he's so... Well, not trying to be misogynistic doesn't preclude you from being misogynist. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. So but it just it, gives a different kind of energy. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. I guess that's the word. Anyway, so we're running. We're hustling through the parking lot after this unknown shadowy pursuit, an shadowy object of his pursuits in the dark, I guess, uh, uh, industrial park. He, so he catches up with them about halfway across the parking lot and kicks out a heel. And they oomph onto the onto the asphalt. Oomph. Mm-hmm. The grunt as he hit be, hit came out in a masculine baritone, much to my relief. I'd been thinking in terms of him because I'd been thinking because if I'd been thinking her, I don't think I could have kept myself from holding back in the violence department. And that's the kind of thing that can get you hurt. Yes. Interesting kind of mentality there. But the guy gets up again. Jumps four or five feet up and starts climbing the fence. He fuegos the top of the fence. Dude falls off the fence. And Harry gets him in a arm bar where the arm is behind, twisted, and he starts pulling it up. And he says, hold still or I'll hold your face there until it melts off with the dripping metal from the fuegoing. And he says, hold still. Jesus Christ, Thomas stammered. His voice pained. Harry, it's me. I scowled at him and pulled harder on his arm. (laughs) Ow! Dresden, what are you doing? Let go. It's me. I growled at him and did, shoving him hard against a fence and standing up. Thanks, man. I didn't mean to surprise you. Like, I hit him solidly in the nose with my right fist. And Harry is pissed. He tells him to shut up. And he says, quiet voices are more frightening than screams. You're using me, Thomas. I don't know what you're talking about. I leaned forward. The blasting, the blazing end of the blasting rod making him squirm backward. I told you to shut up. There's someone I think you know on set, and you didn't tell me about it. I think you've lied to me about other things, too, and it's put me in mortal peril at least one and a half times today already. Now give me one good reason I shouldn't blast your lying mouth off your face right now. The hair on the back of his neck stands up and two distinct clicks. 
of hammers being drawn back on guns, and Lara is there. With her maddening, alluring voice, she murmurs, I'll give you two. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Great scene. Great scene. Really, truly is. The first thought that went through my mind was something like, wow, her voice is hot. The second was, how the <laughs> hell did she catch up to us so quickly? Oh, and somewhere in there, the practical side of me chimed in with, it would be bad to get shot. <laughs> Again, just between the her being gorgeous and the supernatural whammy, he's not really able to think straight. Mm-hmm. Which isn't all that out of character. Not at all. And Romani is her married name, so she's not... Of the Romani gypsies. Also, that's not how you spell it. I know, but I, when I first, because the first time I went through, I listened to the audiobook, and there's also a variety of spellings of that word. Sure. Yeah, they usually have uh, an eye on there. But I. So he, he asked her, you know, if Romani was really her last name, and she says, it was my married name, briefly. Which is interesting as we get to learn more about the white court. I just want to put a pin in that. Um, Not super groundbreaking, but definitely I truly believe that that was both a name that she was expecting to take for the rest of her life and also one that meant something to her at one point. Um, It's a good exchange where... Or, you know, she says, now, please step away from my little brother. And he says, I assume that when I do, you'll lower the gun. <laughs> assume instead that if you don't, I'll shoot you dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just no bones about it. She's in charge. Which Not is part of, part of Lara's charm moving forward is that she very regularly is in charge. Mm-hmm. So cheesy. Thomas tells her. Laura, will you relax? We were just talking. Tommy, Tommy, when you say ridiculous things like that, I have to keep reminding myself that my baby brother isn't as large an idiot as you would like us all to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Which, we've seen that, and we've, we've actually post, you know, hypothesized that as well, right? That he plays the fool, and she knows how good of a job he does at playing the fool and, and yeah. getting people to let their guard down. And that was a really good character moment in this scene that is completely glossed. It's easy to gloss over and the characters gloss glide right through it. Mm-hmm. But I actually, I like that line a lot for that reason, because we've seen Thomas playing the idiot for years now. And as, as always, you think you're doing something so well, and then your sister comes in and tells you you're an idiot. <laughs> it's a pretty standard experience in life. <laughs> I could totally pull this shirt off. Like, no, 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 you, no, you cannot, sir. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like as we step back and we, we survey the scene here, we see that she is wearing her lacy thigh high porn outfit and heels. This was a white court vampire and a relatively in shape 
long-legged wizard sprinting through the streets of the suburbs of Chicago, and somehow she caught up to them in high heels, mm-hmm. which I love just on principle. But also I love that <laughs> Harry has no idea how she did it. Like, even for a wizard, some things are simply beyond belief. And I appreciate that immensely. They're just chirping back and forth. She's got the guns on them. And she takes a second and says, Empty Knight, you're Harry Dresden. So Empty Knight is one of those in-universe curses that we've seen. Like a moment? Yeah, and it's going to be so the big apocalyptic trilogy at the end of the no- of end of the novel series. Uh, One there's of them is Empty Night. Yes, it's going to be Stars and Stones, Hell's Bells, and Empty Night. I like that. Which are the three of these exclamations? Is probably a better way to phrase them. Exclamatory than- statements. Sure, because if you call things curses in universe, it means something different. <laughs> but Empty Night which is something that the white court says a lot, or it's, it comes up a, a lot around the white court, but not exclusively. Um, says you're Harry Dresden. <laughs> and Harry says, don't feel bad. I cleverly concealed my identity as Harry, the production assistant. <laughs> I love that. She asks why he was threatening Thomas and he makes kind of a, a wise crack about it. And in response, she shoots him. She doesn't shoot him in the chest or the face or the knee or the elbow or anything. She grazes his ear. He's got good aim. To which he says, hell spells. Reasonable. That tells you right there how powerful she is in that not only can she scrape some skin off someone's ear from 10 feet away with a gun, but she can do it very casually without lining it up or thinking about it uh, without any fanfare. She just shoots him and comes back, mm-hmm. which is again, one of those scary moments where like pounding your chest and hooting and hollering is rarely the scariest version of something. Mm-hmm. And we see that proven true very much here with Lara. I would like to see her and Murphy have a shoot off though. I feel like Murphy would be a great shot would be an interesting battle, those two mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, you know, we do know that Murphy's, as far as mortal guns, gunslingers go, she's got to be one of the best. She wins lots of awards for shooting prowess. Uh, I think this is probably pretty next level, though. Very likely. But, but I wonder how Kincaid would match up. Everybody's favorite <laughs> mercenary. Certainly Lissy's favorite mercenary. <laughs> She tells him straight up, normally I would admire that kind of piquant retort, but where my little brother is concerned, I am in no mood to play games. (laughs) Point taken. (laughs) He lowers the blasting rod and the fire goes out. Now Thomas makes the introductions. How kind of him. Harry, this is my oldest sister, Lara. Lara, Harry Dresden. A pleasure. So she says that she's going to kill Harry as Thomas steps out and Thomas says, wait, don't kill him. And she says, why not? And I like that. The first answer is the most convincing that he'll be able to level his death curse, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is the most important reason to Thomas 
why not to kill Harry. Oh, yeah. Clearly, that's not what's most important to him, but it's what he think will get through to Lara quickest. Exactly. So what we're seeing here is subtly, in a tough moment, Thomas also being very clever under pressure, mm-hmm. which I really like. And it is relatively subtle, but it's very clear that he knows how to get Lara, how to get Lara's attention. Yeah. Right? But it's another example of him playing the, you know, playing to his, the strengths and knowing his opponent. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, we get a really interesting response. Um, Thomas also he also tells her that he has personal reasons and he'd take it as a favor if we could discuss it first. But there's a really, I think, important line here from Lara that sheds some light on this case. I want to know what your thoughts are after I read it here, where she says, I find myself liking you, wizard, but there is little room for negotiation, Thomas. Resident's presence here is unacceptable. Arturo's independent streak is an internal matter of the White Court. Did you make anything of that? I didn't notice it until you've read it back. <laughs> okay. But I don't feel like Arturo is a vampire. He's not. He's from a, what we understand. But he's the property of the White Court. It seems like in some way. His independent streak is an internal matter of the White Court. Uh, very interesting. Um and we can just leave it there for now, but I, I definitely wanted that to... That is very interesting. Because that, hmm. that doesn't square with what we know about what's happening right now. No. Right? And so we do obviously know that there are white court interests involved, you know, yes. with respect to Thomas and Lara and potentially Inari. Um Or not potentially now that we know now we know it's on yes. Inari because we have confirmation that Lara's white court, so presumably her sister would be. Yes. But it's definitely an interesting turn of phrase there. And Harry tells Lara that he didn't come to interfere with the white court. That wasn't my intention at all. And then she wants to know what it, what his intentions were. And Harry says, That's a good question. I'd love to hear the answer. And he looks at Thomas. So what we see here are the beginning of some machinations within the white court, which are far beyond what Harry wants to be involved with for sure. Uh, Yeah. And certainly things that we weren't really expecting to get into here where Thomas is potentially looking to make a move here and the way that Lara describes it is Thomas you've entered the game now looks that way where like we've seen and she mentioned right he he's been the lovable idiot you know the the black sheep of the white court for a long time but in reality it seems he's just been biding his time and trying to find the his opportune moment if mm-hmm. you will his in. And what's that? His in. His in, yes. Opportune moment is more fun than a reference, though. Uh, <laughs> and so 
he can't do it alone because of how, how powerful the White King is, but he's thinking that maybe he and Lara can make a move together. And I like the way that he tries to convince her by saying that he is... He'll be much easier to depose if I win. And if I lose, you can just disown me. You know, like, it seems like a win-win, but she still doesn't want to get involved. Because she knows they'll lose and they'll all die. Well, no is a difficult thing. Yeah, no, she, she knows how powerful her father is and she doesn't necessarily want to make this move in this situation. Mm-hmm. Although it seems like this conversation, you know, she even says it where, do you know how many brothers and sisters have had said such words to me over the years? He has destroyed them all. But it seems like she, I don't want to say she was expecting it, but she doesn't immediately shoot him right away. Right. So yeah. she's, Willing to listen. She's willing to kind of kick it around. I don't think she's fully ever going to go with him here, but she seems to see some of the things that he sees mm-hmm. with dad, dad's dad's losing. it. He hasn't been but right she, for years and we all know it. Right. But so it she seems must like she's, too. she's taking the safe route. That's the exactly. Exactly. And I think what we learn here of her standing, she's obviously higher up in the hierarchy than Thomas. So it makes sense to kind of as well. Well, yeah. So it makes it sense to take things as they come a little bit more than being super aggressive here. But again, when, and when you're all but immortal, there's no, there's never any rush, but um, it is interesting how it seems to me that she's, I don't want to say responsive, but she certainly kicked this idea around herself. It feels like. Yeah. That this isn't the first time she's ever thought of deposing him. At least that's kind of how I read this, the under... Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. That makes total sense to me. Um, I didn't see it from that angle, but it does. It definitely makes sense in that way. Where she's now... She's obviously contemplated this before, but mm-hmm. she was probably on her own and didn't have the same... I don't know how, I don't know what to, same, uh, guts as Thomas. Where yeah. He's like, all right, fuck it. Let's go. And, and it's also a question of motivation too, right? Knowing she has a higher mm-hmm. standing and potentially a, a, a softer landing spot. If it does go down. Yeah. There's not necessarily any reason for her to get involved quite yet. Exactly. Until, you know, she's, Inherently, all the reason they call them courts, I think, is is important to us, right? Like, if we shouldn't ignore that terminology because it yeah. is inherently political, right? Just just like the White Council is a political body, this isn't the White family of vampires; it's the White Court of vampires. Meaning, there's there's always going to be the machinations behind the scenes. There's going to be jostling for power, and so this isn't new, uh, certainly. But it seems like to her, the moment's not right. And so she then points the guns at instead of both at Harry. Now there's one at Harry and one at Thomas. We're all in a bad way. And there's a line I want. I want to talk to. I think we'll talk about it in at the end because I do want to talk about this one as well later. But um, you know, we also get some interesting information on the Malvoras, who seem like another family in the White Court or another power structure within the White Court that they need to be aware of, who could potentially pounce and take 
the wraiths out of their power. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. And realistically, you know, Lara's probably smart to knock down Thomas's idea right here, especially in front of someone outside of the family. I don't think this was ever going to gain any traction realistically, no matter how she felt about it in this situation. I think this is something you got to bring to her when you have a little bit more of the power mm-hmm. in the, in the conversation um, as, as opposed to kind of a last ditch, please don't kill us. But she decides that she's going to end the nascent rebellion before it begins. Mm-hmm. And she's ready to shoot Thomas and they do a cool little uh, action movie sign language here where, where Thomas shifts his balance a little bit and shows the handle of a gun in the back of his jeans. And he says, Lara, let me talk to you. And she says, I'm afraid all you need to say is goodbye, little brother. And you'd best say it for the wizard as well. And she thumbs back the hammer on both guns that we already heard her thumb back a while ago. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, Although she did. did, she did shoot one of them. So there we go. So there you go. So it's maybe he's. Action. Well, maybe he's mishearing. Could be. And so she just clicks another one of them. I'm going to go with unreliable narrator as opposed to Lara not knowing how her guns work. Yes, and that agreed. leads us right into chapter sixteen. I'd been in harrier situations in this one. Actually, it's sort of depressing thinking how many times I'd been in them. But if experience had taught me anything, it was this. No matter how screwed up things are, they can get a whole lot worse. Case in point, our little standoff with Super Tart. Which I love. So, um, Thomas has revealed the firearm in the back of his pants to Harry. And Harry is uh, looking, analyzing, brain moving all the time. Judging by the grip, it was a semi-automatic, maybe one of those fancy German models and are as tiny as they are deadly. I grabbed it and it felt pretty slick to be doing the teamwork thing, but Thomas's damn jeans were so damn, were so tight that the gun didn't come loose. I leaned too far in the effort and wound up sprawling on my side. All I got for my oh-so-clever maneuver was scraped fingertips and a good view of Laura Wraith in gunfighting mode. I heard a shot go past and a kind of humming buzz in the air that provided an accent to the mild barking report of the pistol. There were several shots in the space of a second or three. Two of them hit Thomas with ugly sounds of impact, one in the leg and a second in the chest. At the same time, he hurled a small ring of keys at Laura, and it probably saved my life. She swatted them aside with the gun that had been trained on me. It gave me a precious second or two, and it was time enough to bring up my blasting rod and loose a panicked strike on her. It was sloppy as hell. Even with the blasting rod to help me focus my will, and instead of a wrist-thick beam of semi-coherent flame, it came out in a cone of fire maybe 30 feet across. That made a big noise. A thunderous, thumping explosion as the heat displaced cool night air. Laura gets out of the way, or Lara gets out of the way, blazing away like in those Hong Kong action movies. Evidently, even Lara's superhuman skill wasn't enough to overcome surprise, lateral movement, a firestorm, and the spike heels. 
God bless the fashion industry and the blind luck that protects fools and wizards. She missed. Harry puts up his shield and... readies the blasting rod and he's checking on Thomas. Thomas says, I don't know. It hurts. Obviously you're, you've been shot. It's supposed to hurt. He says, he says he can't feel his leg and Harry sees there's a lot of blood vampire or not. In some ways they were just as fragile as the human beings they fed on. He could heal up fast. I'd see Thomas recover from broken ribs in a matter of hours, but if he bled out from a severed artery, he'd die just like anyone else. So they start trying to get the fuck out of there. And Harry tries to pick him up. Thomas says, you better get moving. I'll manage. You shut up. I demanded. So eloquent. Uh, And he puts his finger in the hole and the edges of the wound pucker and grip at his hand. Well, your wound sucks. Oh, (laughs) I like that one. Right. And he makes him press the his hand against the open wound. We seem to be doing that a lot in this book. He says, keep your hand there, man. Keep the pressure on. I can't hold it and carry you out too. Forget carrying me, he rasped. Don't be an idiot. She'll kill it. Kill us both. And he says, I've got the shield. We're fine. If you can't return fire, then it won't do you any good. Get clear, call the cops, then come back for me. So they start moving along. Harry's got the shield bracelet up and Thomas is obviously in pain over the next minute or two. His face went white. I mean, even more so than usual, he'd always been pale, but his skin took on the gray tone of a corpse. Sooty hollows forming under his eyes. Even so he managed to help me not much, but enough that I could keep us both moving without stumbling. And then a woman rounds the corner her pale skin glowing in the dimness. Harry pulls the gun up to shoot. Thomas says no at the last possible instant, leans against Harry. Shot goes wild. And it wasn't Lara. It's Inari. Oh my God, she cried. Thomas, what happened? What have you done to him? Nothing. He's been hurt for the love of Pete. Help me. She hesitated for a second, her eyes wide, and then rushed forward to Thomas. Oh my God, there's blood. He's bleeding. I shoved my blasting rod at her. Hold this. What did you do to him? She demanded. She began weeping. Oh, Thomas. I felt like screaming in frustration, and I tried to look at every possible place Lara might be at the same time. I wanted nothing more than to run away. He tells Inari, nothing happened, or I didn't do anything to him. Just get the fuck inside. Call 911. He tries to pick up Thomas again, and she freaks the fuck out. She starts beating him over the head with his blasting rod, breaks it in half. Stars are coming in his eyes, and everything got real confused for a minute or two. And then I started. And when I finally started stirring, I heard Anari crying. Laura, I don't know what happened. He tried to shoot me, and Thomas isn't awake. He might be dead. I heard footsteps on the gravel, and Lara said, give me the gun. What do we do? Inari said. She was still crying. Get inside. Call emergency services and the police now. Inari got up and started to run off, leaving Thomas and me alone with the woman who had already half killed him. I tried to get up, but it was difficult. Everything kept spinning around me. 
I managed to get to one knee, just as cold, slithering feeling washed down my spine. Enter Black Court Vampires. Homeboy, he took his ear off earlier. And they look like they were corpses, basically. One of he mentioned the lividity in the fingernail fingers. Long, dirty fingernails, bloodstained faces and throats. Just ugh. Inari screamed in horror. And we realize Inari doesn't know what the fuck they are. Well, well, rasped the name, the maimed vampire. What luck. The wizard and three whites to boot. This will be entertaining. At which point I felt another stronger slither of vile and deadly magic energy. The Malocchio. It was forming again, more powerfully than before, and I sensed that the deadly spell was already near and gathering more vicious power as it headed my way. Still days, I couldn't do a damned thing about it. Kill them, the black court vampire whispered. Kill them all. See what I mean? It's just like I said, things can always get worse. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. I'm not hopeless at hand-to-hand, but I'm not particularly talented either. Mm-hmm. I've been beaten senseless once or twice. Well, a lot. It isn't as unlikely as it sounds. A lot of the things that started pummeling me could bench press a professional basketball team, whereas I was only human. In my neck of the woods, that meant that I was slightly tougher than a ceramic teacup. (laughs) I managed to survive the beatings thanks to good luck, determined friends, and an evil fairy godmother. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd figure that sooner or later my luck would run out. I'd find myself alone, in danger, and at the limits of my endurance. So, another one of the tried and true truths. The well, one of, another one of the well-worn truths of this universe are that wizards aren't particularly great at figuring it out on the fly. Yeah, obviously that person to person. And we've seen Harry actually do pretty well in that front, but I think he's uniquely talented. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to the wise, you know, the, the magi, the magus, the wise. Um, all of those terms are connected etymologically with wizard. And when he plans stuff out, He's a fighting machine. He can get Mm -hmm. you on his terms, with his equipment, with his preparation. He's probably going to win, even despite massive differences in abilities. And we've seen that true, you know, prove true over and over again. And so in this case, we see a new piece of magic that we've never seen before. Um, I think he mentioned it earlier in the novel, but it's a belt buckle. Carved in the design of a bear. And so it was cast from silver, mm-hmm. but he hand carved the design for it, which is just interesting. Um, so he said it took him months to make, and it wasn't particularly beautiful. But what it did was basically we saw similar to the potion he took in Full Moon, which gave him kind of a night sleep in a bottle is what he called it, mm-hmm. but basically just a bunch of an adrenaline, a big adrenaline rush. And he's able to perform these magical feats. This is similar. 
in that it is a prepared spell, so he doesn't need to have a ton of energy right now because all of the will and power that went into it is already there. So he basically just needs to unlock it, which he does. And it was basically pure magic, very essence of life energy. Hmm. And it poured into him. And so you know, I like the way he describes it, where if you had a personal soundtrack, it would have been playing Ode to Joy while a stadium <laughs> full of hairy fans did the wave. <laughs> I love it. Which is pretty cool. And he mentions that it doesn't take the pain away, but he can kind of shrug it off because he has so much energy and power. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. And I like, again, there's no, it, I mean, it is definitionally a shortcut, but it's not a perfect solution. It doesn't clean, you know, he's not no longer hurt. He's not no longer tired. He still is, but he has this extra reservoir mm-hmm. of energy and power. And so Harry decides, you know, Harry and Lara discuss that the situation has changed. And Harry says we should rearrange teams to get the girl out. And they decide to go 24 hours. So they agree to a 24-hour truce. And we've seen this in the past where in spooky circles, word is bond. And they have now agreed to a 24-hour truce. And that is pretty much a done deal. You don't need to look over your shoulder anymore. You don't need to watch your back for 24 hours you know, Lara has, has put the white court's reputation on the line, and Harry's done the same with the white council. Whereas if either of them were to betray the other at this point, they would be risking more war and pain and all sorts of things. So there really isn't any reason to even think of her as an enemy anymore. She is now abracadabra an ally. And she says done, and Harry says groovy. And Inari says, their faces, their faces. My God, what are they? What are they? And to which Harry says, she, she doesn't know. You really didn't tell a vampire girl about vampires. Right. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Your family is twisted, Lara. It really is. Seriously. <laughs> so he grabs a piece of his blasting rod, hands it to Anari, and says, here, if you get the chance... Make like Buffy. And we've said this before, that Buffy exists in-universe. Which is spectacular. But and it, it's even better when you're listening to it, because reading it, it's fantastic. But when you're listening to it, James Marster say, make like Buffy, it just gives you a little, like, a giggle. It's fantastic. But it, it doesn't beg the question, because this isn't what begging the question means, but colloquially, it begs the question. Who plays Spike in-universe? That's a really good question. <laughs> I'm very curious about that. Is there an alternate version of James Marsters in universe? I don't know. Maybe is this in universe James Marsters. I who's... feel like I need to tweet him and be like, "Hello, sir. Big fan." Uh, so very important question. Maybe don't tweet. Yeah. Do it Mastodon. Um, an X. Don't you mean an X? What the fuck? Send him a message on Facebook. I don't care. I'm just kidding. Send it out to the universe. I like that. Elon Musk, Elon Musk somehow made Meta look like a good, positive company. Like that's right. that's that's how bad of a job he's doing. Yeah, like, everyone's day. really excited about Meta. Like, would you hear about the 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 X? Yes, yes, I did. It, it just got taken down today after it was up for a day. Oh, 
It's amazing. Did you see it? You know, the it's X? Too, too far. Yeah, no, I didn't drive and see it, but I definitely saw pictures. So funny. Oh, man. I'm looking up. I accidentally hit the wrong tab. I'm looking up. I'm making it. I bought a uh, sirloin roast. Uh-huh. And I'm going to make roast beef in the sous vide. Oh, wow. And I clicked on the tab. Really good looking meat. Oh, I'm really excited about it. Sorry. <laughs> what were we talking about? Meat? Um, children. Buffy in the universe. Buffy in universe. Child, child vampires. And, and Ari says, what? Is this a joke? And again, you get a little bit more of their family structure. Lara says, do it. No questions in Ari. And, you know, she's not going to be able to kill a vampire, obviously. No. But the fact that she immediately goes from, oh, my God, to, all right, I guess I'm going to try to kill a vampire because Lara said, do it, no questions, right, is certainly worth noting. Yeah. And I think we've seen them, have we seen them talking, communing like this before? Maybe not. But the white court, or the black, these are black court vampires now that are surrounding them. And they're doing a little online call with Mavra, basically. They're all just standing there supernaturally still. And then as we're waiting for them to speak, Harry feels the Malocchio coming because, my God, we can't just have two problems at a time. We need to have at least Well, he had already felt it start coming, and it just is rearing its ugly head even worse. Yeah, it's building, and it's certainly ready to come. And then we hear Mavra's voice speaking through one of the Black Court vampires who's there. And she says, Dresden and Wraith's right hand, Wraith's bastard son, and the darling of his eye. This is a fortunate night. Um, so, again, we learn a little bit there through that, that Lara isn't just high up in Wraith's hierarchy. She seems to be his right hand. And Inari is the apple of his eye. Which makes, I mean, it's a, we, we've kind it's of gathered that. Yeah. The, the, the cute baby. But these are three <laughs> very different roles in Absolutely. his existence. But she's excited that she gets to kill some white core vampires. <laughs> uh, Harry, very nonchalant, says, stop playing sock bucket, sock puppet. I got a big day tomorrow and I want to get to bed for it. Let's move this along. Love it. Which I love. Uh, <laughs> Thomas is like, are you drunk? It's the <laughs> it's the power of positive thinking. I love that. You gots to keep that PMA list. You gots to. Well, and it's, but it's very hairy because we've discussed this before where when in danger, Harry cracks jokes. Just what happens. Absolutely. But there's, especially with that bare belt buckle, he does have this rush of positivity coming through him as well. Um, 
that I, th- I think he truly believes this is just a matter of getting through it. But 100%. This is very on-brand. So one of the three is the vampire that got his ear ripped off by the puppy earlier. Which is amazing. You know, the first night. And the other one he refers to as Sock Puppet. That's the one that was talking, uh, who Mavro was speaking through. And then there's the third one. And so Thomas is injured on the ground. One goes for Lara, one goes for Harry, and one goes for Inari. He does make like Buffy himself with the other half of the blasting rod, and he jabs it into the vampire's back, but it barely managed to to break the coat, much less the rib cage, which I yeah. love. It seems more reasonable. Um, wasn't able to get it through there. Inari tries to stake her vampire, immediately gets her arm broken. Uh, we realize this is not just TV. And it's red. The vampire's, you know, looking to tear out her throat. And while all this is happening, the curse suddenly coalesces and shrieks out of the night, trying to end Inari's life. Just pretty gnarly. So interesting. We get a paragraph about Harry blasting one of the vampires in the face with just a good kick, right? Mm-hmm. But it asks some questions here because it says the vampires are able to rip through a brick wall, but they weigh as much as a dried corpse. Just got to get into those Ant-Man conversations about how you get, where do you get this power from if you only have the mass, the same mass that you started with, right? Mm-hmm. There may be some magic involved here, I'll tell you what. But, uh, weird. But that's still unlike most of the magic we have in universe, right? Where most of the magic is connected at least tangentially to physics, right? Um, yes kind of a unique process. But there is the extra power of force and will that we do encounter on the regular. Oh, sure. And that usually is is how it balances out. Um, we're just not really sure how the black court magic works. We're not, suppo- we're not supposed to, right? It's just, we know that it does, and we have to deal with it. But it's just interesting, and I like the world building. It's, it's, a, it's an action scene, but there's a little bit of world building sprinkled in, which I, I really love. And he's mentioned this before, at least in passing, where the left side of your body absorbs energy and the right side is where you push energy out, which makes sense why he has a shield bracelet on his left wrist and usually carries the blasting rod in his right hand, right? So it all kind of fits that way. Um, but we see it in action here again. He did this with Murphy one time, but we see it here where he grabs Inari's right arm, which is where she would be pushing energy out, uh-huh. with his left. So he's absorbing the energy from Inari. And he does this right as the Malocchio hits her. So he observe, absorbs the Malocchio through his left arm, and he reaches out. And with his right side, he launches the power at the sock puppet vampire. Mm-hmm. I think it's a sock puppet. The vampire's expression didn't even flicker. So I was sure it did not feel the curse coming, which made it a complete surprise when something slammed into the vampire from directly (laughs) overhead too quickly to be seen. There was a sound of impact, a raspy dry scream, and the vampire went down hard. (laughs) It lay on the ground like a butterfly pinned to a card, arms and legs thrashing uselessly. Its chest and collarbone had been crushed. By an in 20, entire 20-pound 20 frozen turkey. 
just like everything else with the Malocchio, had to have been basically <laughs> stretching the laws of incredulity and luck. A, it had to have fallen from a airplane overhead. Or something. And the timer pops out of the turkey. <laughs> Everyone stops to blink. And Harry says, for my next trick, anvils. <laughs> and the fight was on again. <laughs> I was giggling every single time because I went through this a couple times. Every single time I go through it, I fucking giggle. It's, oh, it's hilarious. So well, it's just so dumb. It's so dumb. I say that a lot, and I mean but it as a compliment, I promise. So Some of the funniest stuff, the best stuff I know is dumb. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, but it's just so ridiculous yes. that y- you have to laugh, but it's... Part of why I love it so much is because it is low fantasy, right? It's urban fantasy. It's grounded fantasy. And they make, they do such a good job tying it in. So it's almost believable, right? Yeah. Like you said, like it's just, it's a little bit, you know, you change up a little bit about how willpower works and you find yourself almost in our universe, right? Yeah. But then something like this happens and it reminds you that, oh no, this is still a hilarious, ridiculous <laughs> fantasy story. But like, imagine this happening like even in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's just like a high fantasy where something so completely absurd happens. I just love it. It's um, ridiculous. It's great. In the it greatest really way. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I absolutely love it. 100%. We'll come back to this idea or this scene moving forward. But um, What a flying death turkey. <laughs> and then the, with the vampire being completely crushed under it because it is just the mass of a rotting corpse being crushed directly from above like a beer can. And so it just has its arms and legs can move underneath, but it can't do anything about it. Oh, just so much. But so much then the thing there. pops up. The timer pops up. Yes. And it's just like, oh, this is absolute ridiculousness. And I'm living for it. It's so good. It is. It truly is. I love it. It's wonderful. Laura's starting to lose this fight. And she's mm-hmm. one ear is really taking her to the limit to the extent where it's it's bitten her, it's licking her, her blood up. Um, it's talking about how she's going to destroy her and Thomas. He's gonna change her into a vampire. She'll be lovely still for a little while. I'll enjoy that. Um which is certainly creepy creepy, and brings to mind all sorts of gross things. Mm-hmm. And again, Lara, who was in so much control just a moment ago is, you know, could potentially die here. Yeah. Has she shot it in the eye yet? Yeah, she has. Yeah. This is the same character with the one ear that had been ripped off. Lara's already shot it in one eye. <laughs> um, and 
And Harry comes over now that his vampire or one of the vampires is taken care of. He gets out his mother's pentacle amulet. And we've seen him do this before where he focuses power into it. And because it is a symbol of his faith, it is anathema to vampires of many kinds. Not the white court, but it seems to be at least the red and black. Mm -hmm. And he's holding it just like a crucifix in standard vampire media because that is what those characters often have faith in. In this case, he has faith in magic and order and the power of the universe. And it begins to burn the black court vampires and force them away. One year, as he starts to retreat, puts another vampire between himself and the pentacle. And it absolutely bursts into flame. We see, again, we've talked about this in the past, the power of faith magic mm -hmm. goes above and beyond Harry's typical, for lack of a better term, power. magic, power magic. I don't know. But, and he has a kind of a thought exercise here where he goes through it wondering about how faith magic works. But we see, again, faith magic is different, right? We know that non-wizards can exercise faith magic and show power through faith magic. Um, so it's already a little bit different there, but we see how powerful it is here. It, it lights one of the vampires on fire almost immediately, mm -hmm. which is a, you know, a conversation that we've had and will continue to have over the next few years of this podcast. The vampire that they, one of the vampires ends up getting staked and then Lara straddles it. And starts to both feed, I believe, and use her power. I'm not sure how much she's actually feeding out of it because it's not human. But she seems to be getting something out of it. Mm -hmm. But she is also absolutely just abusing this corpse. And now it's a corpse times two. Mm -hmm. And she just smashes its head in and blasts it. Um, just is covered in blood. And it's absolutely disgusting. But I, I think it was she came face to face with her mortality there. And that's not something that happens to powerful white court vampires all that often. And so you can see that she's scared and angry and taking it out on that corpse. It's kind of how I took that. Um, not sure if you had a different vibe on it. No. But they have a truce. Mm -hmm. after, after she she tears the head off of the already dead vampire, she naturally just turns to the next piece of prey in her sight and it's Harry and he reminds her that they have the truce she slowly calms herself down and she asks him for help getting her family to safety Nari's on the ground she's got her broken arm she's in pain Amos isn't moving we don't even know if he's alive anymore and she says it again Mr. Dresden I can't protect them I need your help to get them to safety, please. Which is, again, not, not a word that seems she doesn't beg very often. He's in a spot right here that she's not comfortable with. We talk so much about how Harry's comfortable being up against. He almost feels, feels normal when he's, he, his life is in danger, right? He's mentioned that a mm -hmm. couple of times. It is his normal. Exactly. And this is not for her. No. This is not a state that she's used to being in. And so she's reacting poorly. And so, you know, but you see her basically begging him. Um, 
and he says, she, she, even, I mean, she, she's crying. This is not, this is a powerful mm-hmm. creature. And she's exhausted, near death, begging for help. And none of those things happen to Lara fucking Wraith all that often. But she says, um, Harry rather says, damn it, I'll get my car. But she says, please. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that word cost her something, but it also impacted Harry, I believe. Significantly. And it's, but again, we're using word choices here. We're Mm -hmm. using, there's so many things that we use here that Butcher does so well. Truly, truly. But if you really, really want Harry to help out with something. Mm -hmm. He will. Having a pretty injured girl say something along the lines of, please, I need your help. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good way to get that help. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 100%. But yeah, it's a, that's a good moment there. It is. And I really, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's a good action sequence and everything like that. But again, there's just so much good growth and development. We're picking up some good lore, just tons of really uh, strong stuff. Good shit. And that knocks us all the way over into analysis. Yes. And I have quite a bit. Excellent, excellent. Let me go. All right. So, what uh, what did you think about the conversation with Murphy? Anything in that chapter? We learned a little bit more about Arturo. But we we did discuss that a lot about mm-hmm. how we felt with how Murphy is, her perspective on things and her that the way she handles things and deals with things. And it's I feel like that is I like Murphy. I do. Yeah. She's all right. <laughs> but I you know, I also love, you know, the banter, the wow Murph, it's as if you're a detective. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And that made me giggle. But that's also our, first off, it's our sense of humor. You and I have that kind of sense of humor. But it's also how, kind of how Harry shows that he he loves her. And she does the same. That's how they show they care. I know, for sure. Snarky little comments, and it's pretty great. I, I didn't really get, in the next chapter there, why he chases after Thomas, why Thomas runs. I didn't why Thomas ran, but I do understand why he chased after Thomas, because he thought he was the dark form from the hallway with the dart. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. I, I just don't want... know why Thomas ran, though. Like, it's not unreasonable for you to be here. Your sister's involved, your friend Arturo's involved, right? Like... Yeah. I don't really understand... Because he's shady? Of course he's shady. He's a white core vampire. Give the guy a break. But he's also kind of hiding... Um... He's trying to hide his involvement in his family from Harry. Which is weird to me, is kind of my point. Because, like, why is he... What What are you hiding? Like, what, I don't even understand what you're doing here. Not 100% well. sure, but, I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's it's also Thomas. Does Thomas ever make sense? That's fair. <laughs> Just saying. 
We did see Lucille for the first time in that first chapter. Yes. In the uh, photo album. Yeah, forever that's worth. Yeah, the white court intrigue. I've mentioned many times that I I eat that stuff up. Yeah. Kind of the, the background political machinations. So getting a little piece of that was interesting. Um, did you have any uh, thoughts or questions on the white court? Or anything no, from we kind of talked about the, where the the bastard child is an interesting thing still. Why is that? Because it, it but again, it's part of the, the political machinations. It's, it's how things are and like the 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 royal families of Europe and things like that, where sometimes the the bastards get included and and things like that. It's just an interesting kind of element, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. The other thing, actually, regarding the white card, I thought of one other thing. So, Wraith, mm-hmm. the name Wraith. Yeah, I'm curious as to whether it is associated with the word wraith that starts with a W spelled the same way with just a W in front. Yeah, like ghost, ghosty. Well, a wraith is actually a harbinger of death. It's a ghost or, or, or thing you see before you die. So I just think that's a very interesting name. Okay. Cause I'm yeah, just I mean, curious, the harbinger pet factor. Nothing is named on accident. That's for exactly. Sure. But it was just, it's just something that I noticed. There's a line that I like. It could just be Thomas being honest, but where they're talking about, she says, do you know how many brothers and sisters have said things over the years? He's mm-hmm. destroyed them. They went up against him alone. I'm talking about all of us working together. We can do it. Why now of all times? Why not now? I like it. Which I don't think is the answer that he has inside of him, right? I, I feel like he's holding something back there. Um, he likely has more of a reason, but I also think that this is something that he has been building up to. Oh, absolutely. And again, we, we've even seen that over the last few novels, right? Him slowly becoming oh, more yeah. and more involved. But again, Lara also, after that comment, she stares intently at him for better than 60 seconds. So she really is giving it some thought. Yeah, she's, she's focusing on it. And I wonder, and I wonder if, if he had answered that question differently if those 60 seconds of deliberation might have gone differently. Very possible. Very, very possible. Just something I thought about. Um, the other one I didn't mention it during the chapters, they do mention Scavis, who's another, presumably another group within the White Court. Uh, Scavis and Malvora both get mentioned. They're big, important enough to name drop, they're important enough for us to mention it here. <laughs> we don't know how White Court vampires are made yet, Beyond, well, you know that it's hereditary, right? Yes. Um, or at least it certainly would make sense. I think they've already confirmed that. But we don't know much about their progression into Correct. monsterhood, I guess. And so we do know that it's got to be weird keeping the existence of vampires from Inari, though. Yeah. Even if we don't know how weird it is yet. Right? But also, <clears throat> I sent you a text about this when I was reading this through the first time. The way he describes their them changing, my first thought was, Thomas is a fucking Twilight vampire. <laughs> yeah. Well, We've it's, got, it's certainly more I mean, su- way more subtle. Oh, my God. But it made me giggle. Yeah. And I had to send you a text on that topic. Yeah, no, they are def- that is definitely more their model. 
is fantastic because you've got the like the dead body vampires, which are the black court. You've got these twilight vampires and almost the red court. I was thinking because I was trying to, you know, I I like to overthink things. Um, I was thinking that could very likely be like the Buffy vampires where, you know, when they vamp out their faces, get that ugly and gross. But to some degree, I just thought it was entertaining. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, but they do stay beautiful. With their mask, yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful with their mask. But their true self is that ugly face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was just, you know, again, it's the pop culture associations. We oh, do I it like a it. lot. Well, it's part of my entertaining factor. Which is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, having a grand old. The uh, belt buckle is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's cool to see these kind of tokens and tools that he prepares in advance. We don't get those all the time. We get them once in a while, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, I loved him redirecting the Molokio. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the it's the new magic that I get excited by, right? Obviously, we like seeing the Fuegos and the Fuzares yeah. and stuff. But when he does something new, it's just interesting. Definitely. It really is. Well, but it's it's evolving the magic. It's We're learning more again and all of that, which we've discussed how much we love that and how much that changes what you see and your experience with the books and how great Butcher is. Absolutely. At doing that. I, I'm right there with you. I do love the the additions, the changes of magic as we're learning about it. Really like the, uh, again, that line that I, I read it, but it just, it kind of turns this first 15 or so chapters on their head. Mm-hmm. That, that, Arturo's independent streak is an internal matter for the white court. Yes. Kind of reframing our entire story, which I, I love those. And they don't remark. Harry doesn't remark upon it because it's in the middle of, of a confrontation. Right. But I love those, those real subtle story moments as well. Yeah. Which is great. I don't know if you caught it that the, uh, I just want, again, more from a lore thing that I just wanted to bring up that the black court vampires don't have fangs. Yes. They were just normal teeth. So they have to use normal teeth to chew through the, the, the net yeah, to feed, which is super gross. It's super gross. And again, it's creatures. Creatures in this universe are both more gorgeous and more disgusting than we've ever thought about them before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes at the same time, this is black order, pretty unanimously gross, mm-hmm. but that's still just an interesting little tweak on vampire lore that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it adds a, a huge ick factor. Well, I mean, obviously they're from Florida because then they're all in bath salts because they can eat people's faces with their normal teeth, so. Well, that's... I think vampires originated in Florida. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> They've been crocodiles, unchanged for millions of years. <laughs> so, um, short of that, you know, pretty straightforward stuff. Mm-hmm. I love the turkey. That's oh great. Oh my god, that was so spectacular. Saw some more great, uh, you know, pieces of faith magic. Mm-hmm. Which we talk about how much we love. Yeah. Anything else? Do you have a uh, any particular thoughts or questions or ideas? Um, I love the Buffy references, and my final note that I wrote down on my little hot pink card is: Who the fuck is the bad guy? I have no idea. Yeah, who we, we learned nothing about the shadowy no. figure who, who shot the. Um, no, we thought we were uh, going to, and then 
We have fucking Thomas. Motherfuckers. <laughs> but it's kind of great, though, too. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's just a good a good little mystery yeah. to increase. I feel like I'm... I want to say it because I don't want to be right and I've screwed it up, but it doesn't make any sense. What does it? My, my recollection of this book is off, which is good. Um, I'm learning as I go. <laughs> Yikes. Did you have anything on the yikes front? No, we did discuss the puritanical aspect of it, and that was the biggest... It was less of a yikes and more of a light bulb moment. Uh-huh, yeah, no, for sure. And I kind of appreciate that, that it's it was... Kind of gave me a little bit of... That realization kind of gave me a little bit of this is the, this is how he was... It's a nature versus nurture, and this isn't that he thinks less of the women it's not a misogyny thing it's a puritanical perspective that his job is to protect them yeah which is still to protect the weaker yeah no absolutely all right yeah some good stuff uh what did you have for quotes of the week i have four mm-hmm. which isn't as bad as it has been in the past don't feel bad I cleverly concealed my identity as Harry, the production assistant. <laughs> and why are you threatening my brother? It was a slow night and everyone else was busy. <laughs> Which got him to lose part of his ear, but still probably worth it. Yeah, you know, the timer popped out of the turkey. Everyone stopped to blink at that for a second. I mean, come on. Impaled by a guided frozen turkey missile? Even by the standards of quasi-immortal creatures of the night? That ain't something you see twice. <laughs> that and... I didn't get the response I would have liked best. The vampire didn't disintegrate or explode into dust. <laughs> Very disappointing. When you try to make like Buffy and it doesn't happen. Right? Such a disappointment. Such a <laughs> I got a couple here. She narrowed her eyes. You've been reading Machiavelli again. To Justine. At bedtime. <laughs> I do like that. And I already read it, but for my next trick, Anvils! <laughs> I love that so much. Which is great. And, um, yeah, some other ones that Lissy already read. <laughs> so yeah, there you so go. Spectacular. Um, and then, uh, you got anything on the, uh, what, what do you got for Crackpot Theory of the Week this week? Give us something uh, I don't know who the fuck is the bad guy and it's driving me crazy. Um, I still think that there's something beyond Harry just being a wizard, a mortal wizard, uh, just simply some of the the shit that we're seeing, like, oh, you shouldn't be able to do that. There's been a lot of those moments, and that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, okay, okay. We didn't see Kincaid, we didn't see Mac, and we didn't see um, McAnally. We didn't see uh, Mr. So, obviously, or Gentleman Johnny Marcone. So, obviously, I don't have any any real crackpot theories, because none of those four were involved. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Good stuff. I mean, that takes us right to the end of another one. A little bit more uh, meat on the bone this week, which was probably went a little bit longer than the last couple. But again, I want to... But we had a good time. <laughs> we did, in fact. I wanted to apologize again for not getting it out. It was published on Saturday morning. It just never switched over to uh, all the non-subscribers. So it, it, anyone who's a subscriber had access to it for a couple days now. Um mm-hmm. But I apologize. I'm still working on figuring out how to make sure it works effectively. 
And I want to do something for our subscribers, which is, again, super cool. And we appreciate the hell out of you guys knowing there's not a lot of excess content quite yet. Eventually, we hope to grow into something where it's there is a whole lot of value there. But right now, the only value I got is getting it to you a couple days early. So I really want to stick to that or a day early, rather. But um, I'm going to try to keep doing that. But I'll figure out. I've told Alyssa to start checking on Sunday morning and make sure it's released uh, so that I don't screw it up again. You can always send us a message on Facebook or send us an email because they uh, my phone alerts me for those. Um, if they do come through, just I don't look at the emails really. It'll, the little thing will pop up. And we got an email last week from Eliza. Eliza. She brilliantly put the spoiler alert and put a bunch of spaces. So when it popped up on my phone, I only saw major spoilers ahead. So you're awesome. I just so we're clear, I'm going to actually send a copy of this back to you, Eliza, as well. But I, I did Redact- still re- redact. I redacted almost the entire email and then oh, sent yeah. it along to Lissa. I just, I'm looking at it now, and um, I love that you called me Lissy. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. But I also want to say, Eliza, I was I worked in theater. I was a theater kid from high school through college, worked in professional theater. And, oh, my God, some of those old shows, like you said, um, like you referenced like uh, West Side Story, and that's awesome that he's in West Side Story. It, there is so much yikesy stuff in those pieces the musicals, the everything. And it, it's, it's a little bit shocking. And the, the, the comment you made about the, um, the butcher and I are probably a very similar age because of like what you, what you were talking about, where it says when gay was not something you discussed, it was sort of like, a, Oh, that's so gay. Yes. A hundred percent. I remember that as a kid and it always was weird to me. I never used that, but I also in high school, I was in theater where it was a much more accepting kind of group. So I loved the redacted part of your email that I was allowed to read. I think it's <laughs> wonderful and it's amazing. And I love your your view on Molly as trying to be cringy. But I also, with this whole idea that he is very puritanical, it makes even more sense. Molly sees that and is pushing his buttons. Absolutely. So it's another whole other level in my head about that, where it's not just Harry being like, oh my God, it's a kid. It's, oh, Harry's such a square. Harry is so just, he's that guy. He's that that uptight, square kind of guy. And she knows that. And I think that's, I, I mean, brilliant, wonderful. I love that you pointed out. I really, really loved her email. It was fantastic. And she only got to read like a third of it. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. That's yeah. how good the other stuff was. I'll tell <laughs> I you know, what. I'm, I'm looking at it and at least half of the text is completely redacted. And it looks like those... uh that shit you see on the like uh, the alien stories where they put up on the screen all the stuff from the from the federal government and everything is blacked out. It's very much like that. Yeah, no, I, I want I want to encourage people to send their thoughts and ideas. Uh, spoilers are fine mm-hmm. to the podcast is on fire at gmail.com. The podcast is on fire at gmail.com. I go through and curate those. Yes. And I do send them on to Alyssa as much as I can but I do redact the hell out of them, which is a fun process for me <laughs> as well. So I, but, but when I, I'm a sucker for them, the little things. When you do send them, do like the brilliant Eliza and make a big space at the top and say, spoil, if you are putting spoilers in it. So when it pops up on my yeah, phone, don't, don't put them in the it. first sentence or the, the, uh, or that, the, uh, subject, the subject line, please. Cause she does have access to the web. Yes. To the thing and I am you nosy. Could, you could also just out. turn off the notifications. You know? I like getting the notifications though. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh, Weird, yeah, right? 
Well, I like we, knowing people like us. <laughs> it's nah, so, so thank, thank you guys so much. Again, thank you so much to the subscribers as well, specifically. Um, Y'all are anyway, awesome. Even if you're not, but that, that doesn't matter. I mean, obviously it matters and it helps and it makes this slightly more of a, a doable scenario, but mostly I just really appreciate you guys for listening. Um, I, I didn't notice that it didn't post live because we still had a normal Sunday amount, almost a normal Sunday amount of downloads. I was like, Oh, maybe it's a little bit low, but it was uh, really like super cool that you guys are still crushing it. Um, again, giving us a rating on Spotify or Apple uh, podcast is definitely massive and huge. And it just helps us get found. And when people can find us, we think they'll like us, but if not, you know, that's okay too. Or, you know, I, I've lived for 40 years. I know perf- plenty of people who like me and plenty who don't. God, it's okay. Old. I'm almost 40. I'm not quite, not quite, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we appreciate you guys. Um, I will get this one out ideally on purpose, on time, on the right place. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys beyond that. Any parting thoughts here, Ice? What are we going to do next week? So our, those who are reading along can read along. That is a very good question. And so I know how far to go. <laughs> Most importantly. We're going to start on 18 for sure. Let's go 23. Let's do six. Six chapters. Sounds like a plan. All right. We got six chapters coming up. Some sauce. Looking for, uh, what will that be? 18 through 23. Some big revelations coming up here. And we meet some interesting new uh, bad guys. So I'm excited about all those things. I'm very excited about see what we got. Really, really, truly. So thank you so much for being here, Alyssa. I appreciate you rushing back from Monterey, Monterey. Which I think is where Thomas Catsby Jones landed in like the 1840s or 30s. And basically captured California hmm. or we thinking that we were at war with Mexico, realized we weren't at war with Mexico, took the flag down and hopped back in his boat and sailed away. How funny. <laughs> but not surprising. Yeah, you know. Beyond that, I uh, look forward to another great chunk of chapters and uh, see you next week, Liz. Ooh. All right. Thank you all so much. Again, hit us up at all the things. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com is the easiest and best way, but any of them work. And thank you guys so much. Look forward to hearing from you. Um, I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't on fire. Always. In 2022, Antonio Banderas hosted a premiere for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, just for cats in Los Angeles. <laughs> he said he was inspired to host a screening after learning about the number of cats that are abandoned or surrendered to shelters each year.
the event was held at the CatCon, LA, at the CatCon LA convention, and Antonio personally invited hundreds of cats. He made sure the cats were treated to a special menu of cat-friendly snacks and drinks while they enjoyed the film. Oh. After the screening, the lucky cats were able to meet Antonio Banderas and get their pictures taken with him. The screening was a huge success, and it raised awareness about cat adoption and animal welfare. <laughs> what the fuck? And the cats have 3D glasses on in the picture. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my goodness. 